Hey guys, CJ here. Just a reminder that the Blood Drive in Amanda Trails Honor is coming up really soon. It's on August 10th, so if you're in the South Charleston area, swing over to the Holiday Inn and Suites, donate blood, and you might potentially save a life. Of course, Amanda was a hero to so many of us. She was lost way too soon because of a deadly disease, but she knew the importance of giving blood, and so we hope you do too, or at least we can pass that on to you. Again, that's August 10th at the Holiday Inn and Suites in South Charleston, and it runs from 1 p.m. to 6.30, and you can also register on the Red Cross's website. Thanks, guys. President Abe Lincoln said, history is not history, unless it is the truth. But what if some of the history you think you know isn't actually true? Yes, the voice you just heard. My name's Bill Lepp, and I come from a long line of storytellers. Is our guest today. Bill Lepp is the host of History Channel's Man vs. History, a brand new series where Bill dives into some of our country's most famed stories and decides whether they're fact or fiction. Yeah, the premise is really cool. As we record this podcast, two episodes are already out. The first is about Billy the Kid, and the second is about John Henry and whether or not he actually dug through a West Virginia mountainside faster than a machine. But talking about the show is just the tip of the iceberg for our conversation because he's a -a one-of-a-kind storyteller and professional liar. Yeah, stick around and you'll find out what we're talking about. This conversation is funny, it's fast, it's energetic, and Bill really hits the nail on the head when he talks about why Appalachians are just damn good storytellers. So let's get to it. The great and powerful Bill Lepp. Mace, hit the music. shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. Okay, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Bill Lepp is our guest today. Thank you, Bill, for taking some time to talk with us. You're a historian, a host on History Channel, but first and foremost, I would at least say that you're a natural storyteller. And has that always come naturally? And do you think that the storytelling ability that you have is kind of maybe the key to your success, or at least that's made you who you are. I, it's really the only thing that I can do well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was glad to find out that it could be a full-time job because uh, nothing else was looking, you know, didn't have very many other prospects. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in a family where everybody told stories all the time and nobody ever told the truth. Um, <laughs> in our family, it was it was totally up to the listener to decide what was true. You as the speaker could say anything you wanted. I mean, there was no uh, harm. Uh, you know, nobody was trying to trick anybody. People were just trying to make stories more interesting. And so I just right. I grew up with that. And it just fit really naturally when I started to tell tall tales uh, and lies in the liars contest, you know, it just kind of all flowed together and kind of created the perfect storm. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that. And, and we've said that many, many, many people have said their, their West Virginia roots kind of, it may be like led to their professional like success or whether they're journalists or entertainers or whatnot. Um, what part of West Virginia did you grow? I see that you got an awesome West Virginia shirt on. That's pretty sick. It's a nice like throwback looking retro shirt. I love yeah. that. Um, what part of West Virginia are you from, Bill? Let me just shout out the kinship goods there. 
There uh, you go in downtown Charleston. That's on, right. Yep. I uh, I grew up here in South Charleston, uh, about a mile and a half from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, but then <laughs> cool. my father uh, became a pastor, and so we moved to Barber County, and I ended up graduating from uh, Barber County High School. Okay. Go Colts! And uh, then I went to college in uh, at Wesleyan, and then um, I lived in my wife and I lived in Fayette County for our summers. Wait, where were we? Yeah, Fayette County, wherever Meadow Bridge is. Fayette yeah. County. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we lived in Fayette County for a couple of years, and then we've been back in the Charleston area since uh, 1999, I think. Okay. Very yeah. nice. Gotcha. Then, so we, you go went ahead, to Barber you. County High School? Is that what you said? Yes. Is that now Philip Barber? Is that the high school that, or yes, what is it? Is. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. I only went there for my senior year, so I didn't really get to know a lot of people. Of course, it's a really small town. So everybody, had, you know, been together since elementary school. So it, it was, it was interesting coming in there as, as the new guy for just my senior year. But what's been really funny is, you know, the show premiered last week and I don't know, like 20, 25 people have friended me from the high school that I, I don't think ever spoke to me before. <laughs> yeah. Like, Hey Bill, remember how good of friends we were back in high school? Yeah, yeah exactly. Everybody <laughs> wants to be with the cool guy now. So right. no, I'm sure you, uh, when you, when you got there your senior year, I'm sure you had all the good stories to tell, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, no, but we, we really have had this discussion on this podcast several times that West Virginians and Appalachians really are storytellers by nature. It's it's really in our blood, but storytellers we may be, but at the end of the day, are we truth tellers? And that's kind of where I guess the historian background in, in your career kind of comes into play, right? Yeah, uh, certainly for this show, uh, but in most of my stories, almost almost all of my stories are tall tales and have huge tall tale elements. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also almost all of my stories are based in something that actually happened. Mm -hmm. right. So there's definitely a kernel of truth. And I think that's a lot of what the at least the American tall tale tradition is, is, you know, you get some people sitting around on the front porch of the hardware store or whatever. And they, you know, start talking about the pumpkin they grew. And one guy says, you know, I grew a pretty big pumpkin. And the next guy says, well, mine's so big, I made it into a dog house. And the third guy says, you know, I can park my RV in my pumpkin. So <laughs> it's just this kind of one upsmanship because also part of I, I think i remember from my appalachian sociology class in college um appalachians don't brag or, or bragging is kind of looked down on so i think the tall tale is a way to brag without mm -hmm. really self-aggrandizing you know mm. I, i'm saying something yeah my pumpkin's bigger than your pumpkin but i'm saying it in a ridiculous way so the brag gets out there but it's also funny um that so is, I, I definitely think that uh, on yeah, yeah. so it's definitely part of the culture that i grew up in has definitely influenced the kind of stories i tell yeah well it's uh, yeah like when you think about it too it, because it it doesn't um it's not like like you said you're not bragging about yourself but you're shifting the focus onto something external like oh like the fish i caught was 11 inches or you know the buck that i <laughs> you know snagged yeah. was like a you know whatever yeah. 10 point whatever so that that is fascinating um now when you're you're growing up in west virginia you're you know you're, you're kind of thinking about your future what did what was the goal initially like what did you kind of set out to do and then how did you end up you know as a host on the history channel you know working through these stories and, and you know telling these stories and identifying truths and whatnot what was the original vision as you left west virginia uh you know like everybody i wanted to be the front man of a punk rock band <laughs> <laughs> 
but I can't sing and I, I can't play an instrument. So that, that didn't. That's happen. a tough, yeah, that's a tough and call. Then, I think this was before karaoke. So, you know, I, I had, I had no hope at all. No, uh, I always wanted to be a writer um, yeah. for about as long as I can remember. I wanted to be a writer. And what I found out was that, uh, you know, it's really difficult to get people to read things that you wrote. Mm. Uh, you guys grew up in a different era than me. Uh, you know, I didn't have uh, websites. My son and daughter, they publish stuff on websites all the time. And so millions of people can see it. We had to send stuff to paper magazines and journals to get rejection letters. Um, <laughs> so I was just having a difficult time getting anybody to read my stuff. And so when the Liars Contest started in 1983, my older brother, Paul, who has since passed away, he, he started doing it in 1986, I think. He was 10 years older than I was, and I watched him do it for several years, and I thought, you know what, I can do that. And then uh, I was sitting in my dorm room at Wesleyan thinking about entering the Liars Contest, and you know, I, I thought, well, I'm going to need a story. Uh, so I thought about walking to the library, which was you know, 200 yards away, which seemed an immense distance at the time, <laughs> and uh, going through the card catalog and then reading a bunch of stories and a bunch of books and finding one that I liked and then learning it. And then I thought, well, you know what? You want to be a writer. Why don't you just write a story? Right. So uh, <laughs> so I wrote my first story for the Liars Contest, and uh, it, it won second place. And, uh, you know, one of, one of the things I learned was that it's difficult to get someone to read something you wrote. But if you learn to tell it, people have to listen to you unless they can't outrun you. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wait, so get more into the, because I, I, I don't know much about the Liars Contest. Can you give us a little more insight to that and some background on that? Yeah, the Liars Contest is the whole reason why, you know, I'm where I am today. Um, <laughs> in 1983, as part of the Vandalia Gathering, yeah, which is, of course, you. a celebration of traditional Appalachian arts and culture, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Ken Sullivan, who at that time was editor of Golden Seal Magazine, thought that uh, there should be some venue to perpetuate storytelling and, and oral history. Uh, and so he called this thing the Liars Contest, mostly just to get people in the door. You know, more people will come to a Liars Contest than a storytelling contest. Right, right. Storytelling <laughs> is someone reading Little Red Riding Hood. Um, so uh, that started in 83, I believe. And um, uh, I started doing it after my brother. And, you know, we were pretty involved in it for uh, at least a decade. Um, and that's really all the storytelling I was doing. I mean, I would do mm -hmm. like a Cub Scout blue and gold banquet or a spaghetti dinner at a church um, and uh, get 50 bucks, you know, extra. And I thought I was really living large. <laughs> um, and then in 1998, there was a small storytelling festival, the West Virginia Storytelling Festival up in uh, uh, outside of Weston. And uh, they invited one full time national storyteller. Now, again, I didn't know that this was really a thing. That guy's name was Ed Stivender. Uh, and Ed um, is one of the greatest storytellers in, in the country, if not the world. And I was blown away by Ed. But more importantly, Ed saw me and he liked my stuff. He was so he blown away by you. <laughs> National Storytelling Festival down in Jonesboro, Tennessee, um, which is sort of the broad way of storytelling. And they invited me for a 15 minute spot in 2000. And then, uh, you know, uh, I've been doing it full time pretty much ever since. But one of the suffer. interesting things about that is, Ken Sullivan's idea was to promote Appalachian storytelling. Uh, I was, I'm pretty sure, the first West Virginian to be invited as a featured teller to the National Storytelling Festival. And then since then, I believe four other graduates of the Liars Contest have been featured at the National Storytelling Festival. So 
Uh, Ken's goal of getting West Virginia storytelling out there has, you know, has been really successful. What is up, guys? Welcome to the Mountaineer Roasting Coffee Break. And every single week I tell you about this, and I drink this coffee every single week, so I'm always uh, freshly reminded how delicious Mountaineer Roasting Coffee is. And if you go to mountaineerroasting.com, that's mountaineerroasting.com, and you use code MEDIA15, M-E-D-I-A, number one, number five, MEDIA15, you type that in, Boom, 15% off your online order. Delicious West Virginia roasted coffee will be delivered to your front door. Thank you to everyone over at Mountaineer Roasting for sponsoring the Mountaineer Media Podcast. That is awesome. That is awesome. And the Vandalia is such a fun, um, I, 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 growing up, we went to that in like the late nineties, early two thousands. It's some of the best, I think like, uh, they do like the corn on the cob, they fry, I think they soak it in like cold water and like fry it. And they also make like delicious, like homemade lemonade, the Vandalia, the Vandalia is definitely a, a great cultural, you know, like you said, like a representation of West Virginia culture and Appalachian culture. Um, all right. So you're telling stories you um you know wait hold on what's the best lie that you told do you remember what was the one that stands out the most in the liars contest well, that was, i only ever beat my brother once uh he i won five times he won six times i only ever beat him once so and then that same story is the one that i told at my 15 minute spot at the national festival so it kind of shot me to fame um fame relative to the storytelling world <laughs> uh it's about my dog uh his name is buck his mother was a German shepherd. His father was a prolific and extremely determined basset hound. And uh, Buck inherited his mother's good looks, but he got his daddy's legs in the bargain. However, he, he had this incredible nose. He could smell anything. Uh, and so, but he was gun shy. So it wasn't much of a hunting dog. So to get him to not be gun shy, I tie a rope from his collar to my belt loop, uh, let him smell the bullet so he knows what's going on, fire the bullet, and then he chases the bullet. This I had not anticipated this. Um, and he drags me through the woods and I eventually become frozen to the side of a train by my tongue. And then a 50 foot wing of frozen drool freezes outside of my mouth. The train takes off. I fly it around the sky <laughs> and then, and then it gets weird after that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it was totally normal before that, but then it yeah. gets weird. That's funny. I like that you remember it most by that's the one that you beat your brother with. <laughs> it's still the brotherly you love. To. The one yeah, up you thing you're talking about. <laughs> right. Of, of all my accomplishments, that's still one of my proudest moments. Beating your brother. I hear you, man. Yeah. We've all got that. <laughs> We've all got that. So what makes it what makes a good story is it um you know like, like you said is it a mixture of like of painting the scene like when, when you think about telling a story or like what makes a good story like what do you think some of the best storytellers whether it's written audio visual you know production film like what is it like in your opinion that like the fundamentals that they're they're doing right to like captivate their audience gosh uh Might be I, a tough I started out with an answer to that question and then the question got really big uh, <laughs> I tend to do that. <laughs> uh, the, the first most important thing uh, in, in my storytelling and in the kind of storytelling I do is that you have to make some kind of connection with the audience. Uh, I think that all good storytelling is a conversation. It's an extension mm. of the supper table or the front porch. And I'm never talking at my audience, or if I am, it's not going well. Uh, I want to talk with my audience. If you go to a storytelling uh, festival or a storytelling event, one thing you'll notice that's different than a play or a concert or a movie 
is that the lights are on. Uh, storytellers like to see their audience. We want to know how they're reacting so that we can kind of tailor our stories to, to meet what's going on with the audience emotionally to see if we are connecting that sort right. of thing. Um, so, you know, I'm watching my audience uh, and responding to the way they're reacting. So, you know, I'm having a conversation. I'm never talking at the audience. Uh, and then no matter what you're talking about, you have to find something that you have in common with the audience. So for example, when I'm telling the buck dog story, um, I know that I'm going to be flying a train around the sky um, by my tongue. That's a little much to start a story with. If right. I said that to you, you would probably think to yourself, I no, right. no, you're right. not. I'm lost. You know? <laughs> I have any so I started the story real simple. I have a dog. That's the first line of the story. And everybody thinks, oh, I also have a dog, right? There's no dog agnostics. Um, so, and then I say, my dog's funny looking, my dog can smell well, my dog has a name. So I'm just establishing that we're talking about something that you're all familiar with. And then, you know, it kind of gradually goes up, uh, the, the exaggeration increases slowly. And then I think another really important thing about storytelling, my kind of storytelling anyway, and probably movies and books and plays, is uh, I'm never the hero of my own story. And again, this is part of the Appalachian upbringing, you know, where you're not supposed to brag. If I accomplish anything in my stories, it's through sheer stupidity. Um, you know, it's, it's like the, the Jack stories, like, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk. Almost anything that happens in, in my stories, um, if I achieve something good, it's an accident. Um, uh, and... If there is a hero in my story, it's someone I see. I, I see someone who's doing something heroic and I'm telling about them. Because, you know, you know as well as I do, just from having conversations with people and that you just met or whoever, right. um, nobody wants to hear a story about somebody bragging about themselves. You know, we right. want to hear stories about uh, how you're humble or how you recognize heroics in other people but we don't want to hear you talk about how great you are. Exactly. That's so true, man. I mean, and I think we stumbled into that. Or I mean, like we built this podcast, obviously to not to get on here and, you know, pontificate our own opinions about West Virginia, but to highlight other people's, their, their stories, you know, their, the way they see the world of West Virginia. And yeah. yeah, and yeah how it's yeah, shaped exactly. them. So it's so true. Like no one wants to sit there and listen to, you know, you go on and on about your own self. So if you can make people kind of like see themselves in your story, that kind of like really allows them to identify and grasp it, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, I don't know who said it, but it's uh, don't be humble. You're not that great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just say Bill Lepp quoted that. That's <laughs> yeah. now it was Phyllis Diller or somebody like that. One of the great women comedians. Don't be humble. You're not that great. That's good. So, okay. Speaking of which, where do, where does the line between storyteller and somebody like a comedian fall? You know, mm. would you ever consider yourself a comedian or is that like a different type of storyteller or in a different realm no i, I consider myself a comedian um not everybody does <laughs> uh, it's another See, one of my favorite funny, quotes <laughs> said, when i told my family i was going to be a comedian they all laughed but nobody's laughing now um, so uh i'm not a stand-up comedian mm -hmm. um in the way you know like say jeff foxworthy is because right. i'm not doing just one joke after another, you know, stand-up comedians have to get a laugh, like, I don't know, every three, every six seconds, you know, they have some metric that they use. And then there's often not a narrative flow 
to right. a stand-up comedian's routine. They'll, they'll go back to jokes, but, you know, they bounce from subject to subject. So I will do 15, 30, 60 minutes um, telling one entire story. Mm. Uh, and in that, there are a lot of jokes, um, but it, you know, they, and they build on each other, but there's definitely a narrative flow that goes through the course of the story. So we used to, I guess we still do, but um, uh, like Bob Newhart, uh, is someone who started out telling stories. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a comedian, but he was also telling long stories or doing these hilarious monologues. Uh, so it's kind of like that. There are other people, so many whom have unfortunately been convicted of sex crimes that we don't say their names anymore. Um, <laughs> but they used to do the same thing. Uh, you know, they would tell a story uh, yeah. on stage but it was, you know, it was funny throughout. We called them comedians. It was funny throughout. Um, but, you know, so I call myself a humorist. I, I do call myself a comedian when I meet people who don't know who I am because it's just easier than explaining what storytelling is. Right. Uh, but and, and not all storytellers do funny stuff. You know, a lot of my coworkers are telling very serious stories or, you know, traditional uh, Native American stories or stories from the from the uh black american experience or jewish mm-hmm. stories i mean there's a why not that, not that those stories can't be funny either but what i'm trying to say is you know not everybody's funny uh there's a right. lot of serious storytelling yeah yeah no that's, that's such a good point and it's kind of applicable to many careers i mean as a financial advisor i mean this is you know cj and i we kind of do this on the side but i mean like i if i'm talking with a client about retirement planning i'm telling a story right i'm, I'm trying to hear their story but i'm also telling a story and relating past experiences of clients to them so i mean storytelling is kind of fundamental to a lot of i mean anyone in sales will tell you like storytelling is, is a key ability to to relate with whoever you're trying to work with um yeah no i mean i completely agree now what do you think about social media in terms of storytelling because like we've all become you know like you can use like tiktok like twitter instagram facebook all these different like platforms and services to quote unquote tell stories create some piece of creative um has that made it easier or harder to identify good storytelling or do you think that's like shine light on more people to get stuff out like when and then like you're someone like you like a professional storyteller um how has that dynamic maybe even changed how you all go about your you know career i, I mean it's definitely um gotten a lot of people noticed and you know yeah. sure uh, hooray for that. I'm glad that people are having a platform. You know, again, when I was in my teens and twenties and I wanted to be a writer, it's just nearly impossible to get anybody to read anything. Uh, And so in the storytelling world, uh, for the festivals, a large part of what I do is festivals all over the country. It's really difficult to get hired at a festival if the festival organizers haven't seen you Uh, and they want to see you live, but the ability to have your stories on, on online, on YouTube or wherever they are, uh, has really helped a lot of people get noticed and, and get hired. Um, and, I, you know, it's just fascinating to me, the billion different ways that there are of telling stories. Yeah. So many people, so many creative people have come up with so many mm-hmm. different ways to do that visually or, or uh, oral, orally online that it's just, it's fascinating. And I think when Twitter first came out, I'm on the Twitter, um, but I'm not very good at it, <laughs> but <laughs> it really helped back when what was it originally you could only have 140 characters or something like that you when i went to tweet something funny uh i really had to work hard to get it into that format Mm -hmm. so that's definitely one example where social media has 
helped me in some places make my humor more concise, mm. uh, which has you know, been interesting. Are you unemployed? Well, hopefully you're not unemployed, but if you are, I need you to go to beamountaineer.com. What are you gonna find at beamountaineer.com? Well, you're gonna find the great team that's Mountaineer Employment Solutions. Do you remember Bill Carter? We just had him on the podcast not too long ago. Well, he founded Mountaineer Employment Solutions to better connect West Virginians to high quality employers. So jump over there, start a conversation with their team and find yourself a job within West Virginia. Oh, and if you're a small business owner and you're on the other side of this and you need to hire dozens of people, well, reach out to them, beamountaineer.com, and you can start a conversation about how they can be your, essentially like your HR hiring system. They do a ton of the back office work and they'll place high quality West Virginians at your place of business. So thank you to Mountaineer Employment Solutions for sponsoring the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Now let's get right back to the episode. Do you think that with this in this day and age of the internet, is it helping or hurting storytelling? Or is it almost like it's not changed at all? It's like we're back in the Wild West sitting around a fire and everybody's just saying whatever they want to say. <laughs> just like you said, hit and publish. Your crazy uncle's got a microphone. Though. He yeah. lives in like yeah. Mecca, West Virginia, yeah. saying some wild shit on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I wish my crazy uncle would say more on Facebook. <laughs> um, uh, so we just went through this pandemic. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Right. Um, <laughs> I missed it. And uh, <laughs> might be headed back into it, which is dreadful <laughs> for many reasons. But uh, I um, I had to do my shows on Zoom. Uh, right. No offense. And um, it's really, really difficult for me mm -hmm. to do it. I don't like to do online shows because, again, uh, I can't really see my audience. I can sort mm -hmm. of see them, but they're tiny little squares. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't tell how they're reacting to my story. My pace would be all off because I wasn't getting the, the reaction I needed from the audience. I would tell a 15 minute story in eight minutes because I would just go. I, I have a tendency to talk really fast um, and I would be out of breath, you know, four minutes into a story and couldn't figure out why. And I was, oh, because I'm I'm not pausing at all. Um, so. I definitely am not a big fan of doing storytelling online, uh, but when uh, when I can tape a show live and then present it online, you know, then it, it works fine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. but, and, but some people are really good at it. My buddy Don White, who's a storyteller, folk musician out of Lynn, Massachusetts, he might still be doing it. He was doing a show every Thursday and he mm -hmm. had a couple hundred people come to every show. So wow. he really embraced it. Um, and uh, I, I didn't. So, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. Like you said, like it's hard, especially, you know, God bless if there's West Virginia Internet issues. And it's like you kind of landed a punchline and it's just like everyone's frozen. It's yeah, kind of hard, yeah, yeah, hard yeah. to tell. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. That's so funny. What, so, what about like it, it's man versus history? Is that the name of the show? Correct. Man versus history. Yeah. How, how did that come about? Did you kind of pitch that idea to them? Did they <laughs> Do you call History you? Channel like, and just say, like, I want to show like yeah, how the heck did that even get started? I people used to come up to me and say, "Why don't you have a TV show?" As if you could just call. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, TV. Dial the eight hundred number. Like I'm my ready show. for my show. Yeah. Uh, no, a guy whose job it is to invent television shows 
as far as I understand it, he was thinking about maybe doing a show about moonshiners. I think that was his original idea. Gotcha. And so he uh, he search engined uh, West Virginia moonshiners or something like that. And somehow my up. name came up. And so he saw, <laughs> yeah, I got nothing to do with that. Uh, and uh, so he looked at my uh, stuff, my storytelling on YouTube, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, uh, so glad it was there and my website um and then thought it would be interesting to do a show about where i look into the truth behind american folk tales Mm. um and so he emailed me that and i let us sit in my email box for like two weeks and my wife was like why aren't you mailing this guy back and i was like that guy that's a scam honey they're just trying to feel like and uh yeah I, i really did so she went and looked that guy up and found out that he is uh, invented some really successful television shows and she's like you ought to just email him back uh so i did and um uh they uh they came to west virginia about two years ago and we shot what's called a sizzler which is like a 15 minute it's not quite a pilot it's just like you know are you interested in this TV execs. yeah yeah uh, we did a, a, a like a 15 minute thing. I mean, it obviously took longer than 15 minutes to do, but we were looking into, was there a real John Henry? Uh, and if there was, um, did he really battle a machine? And if he did, did it happen in West Virginia? And so at the end of the show, I have to make a conclusion, you know, yes, I think this happened. Uh, and I told the producers right away, I'm like, look, fellas, there is no way. I don't care what evidence we uncovered. I am not saying this didn't happen and it didn't happen in West Virginia, right? Because they will burn my house. Yeah. Um, and that's actually the show, uh, that same premise, uh, the whole John Henry, Johnny Appleseed thing. We went to, uh, I think it's called Hawk's Knob Cidery in Lewisburg and uh, did a piece about Johnny Appleseed also. That's the show that's airing. Well, the day we're doing this interview, uh, uh, Tuesday at 10 o'clock, we're doing the yep. John Henry, John Apples, Johnny Appleseed show. But anyway, um, so they shot that and it was really fascinating. Uh, one of the producers of the Bourdain show uh, mm-hmm. who had shot when he came to McDowell County or wherever mm-hmm. he went, mm-hmm. uh, she was the person sort of directing the Sizzler. So, I mean, wow. this was some top notch stuff. Yeah. And then uh, so History Channel uh, wasn't crazy about that idea, uh, but they liked me. So we did another idea. We went out to Hollywood and shot. I was in a room the whole time. And, um, you know, I didn't go out in the field uh, and they didn't like that idea. But fortunately, they still liked me. Uh, And then they came up with this concept, which has been described as uh, Mythbusters uh, and Dirty Jobs means Mm -hmm. history. So now, same thing. uh, For example, this John Henry episode, uh, I go and I, I talk to... Um, other historians, uh, scholars, and people uh, down in Talcott, West Virginia, where the tunnel is, uh, to find out, was there a real John Henry? So first, we kind of deal with that. And then each episode has a test. So in, in this episode, we actually do the test. So we got this guy named Chris Mormon, uh, and I can't think of the other guy's name, but two strong men uh, down from like the, the southern part of the state. Um, these guys are the, you know, when you watch the strongman competitions, and they're pulling an airplane down the runway. Uh, so Kirk Mormon, uh, he was our John Henry and the other guy held the spike for him. And then we went to the Jimco Corporation over in Sithamville. Uh, they make a machine called the John Henry, which digs like when you see a highway where they made the cliff so they could put the right. road in this machine makes that. Uh, and we got them 
they were great because, you know, they're super, super techno. Uh, we asked them to take a jackhammer because you can't get a burly steam drill anymore um, and dumb it down so that it had the same PSI mm-hmm. as the burly steam drill, which was like nine PSI. I think. <laughs> and then me uh, and, and the two strong men um, right at the face of the tunnel where John Henry himself would have been working. Uh, did a contest where I was using the jackhammer and they were using hammer and steel uh, to see if a man could beat a machine. Very wow. cool. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil your fact. I, I was. I was stopping right there. So, well, your first episode was about Billy the Kid, too. That, that very neat story. I love this concept of you know just digging into the truth, though. And you know, it, it, you're involving West Virginia. I mean, match made in heaven for you, I'm sure, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, I love it, and. Um, uh, it, it took a minute. I might get in trouble for saying this. Let me let me say this as politically as possible. Um, <laughs> history wasn't sure that their viewers wanted somebody funny. So interesting. Yeah, it wasn't. I was like, why why did you call me then? Um, <laughs> so, but after it didn't take long for them to figure out that the show was going to be better if there was a little humor in it. Um, yeah. So you know, we worked that out. And uh, so it, it is really fun to, you know, a lot of times when I'm interviewing people, sometimes it's not the most exciting material that we're talking about, uh, but almost everyone we spoke to was just so much fun to be with. So, you know, there's a little bit of banner, a little bit of humor yeah. uh, with me going back and forth with, with the experts we spoke with. Friends, family, acquaintances, random strangers that are happening to be listening to the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Are you a cook? Maybe you're not a cook. Maybe you don't know what you're doing in the kitchen and you know, you're intimidated by trying to prepare a meal for your group of friends or family. Well, let me help you out because I've got something that will make that easier. Raised Rub. Raised Rub is a West Virginia original recipe seasoning that can be used on beef, chicken, vegetables, damn near anything you can think of. If you can eat it, you can put Raised Rub on it. And it's great. I use it all the time when I'm cooking. If you follow us on Instagram, you see my stories. I use it when I'm making hamburgers and I, you know, I throw it on virtually everything. It's $12 for a huge bottle, like a big bottle, and it gets shipped right to your house, right from Amazon. So jump over to Amazon, order a bottle, and you will be uh, enjoying high-quality food. And you'll also be an entertainment uh, specialist. You'll be the host of the party. People will be like, hmm, damn, this is pretty good chicken. What would you put on this? And you'll be like, boom, Raised Rub. It's a West Virginia small business. What are you talking about? So go over to Amazon, support Raised Rub, and snag yourself a bottle of their delicious West Virginia seasoning. Now, how can how can people watch it? Where where is it like uh, held at? Well, it's definitely on the History Channel, uh, mm-hmm. ten o'clock on Tuesday nights, and then you can go to the History Channel. Um, I mean, you can go to the History Channel's website, and I don't know exactly where it is or how to explain it, but if you click around. Uh, you can find out how to watch it hmm. and it lists how you can watch it on other platforms, uh, yeah, you know, just yeah. on, on the history channel, or uh, I think it's on, it's definitely on Amazon prime. I think mm-hmm. you can buy the whole season for like $15. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean I've had to answer all these questions. That doesn't mean you get the entire series the minute you buy it and you can watch <laughs> you it all at once. You have to wait. for I believe somebody told me yesterday it's on iTunes. Okay. Uh, so, you know, uh, I don't think it's on Hulu, but I don't know for sure. Um, it's not on Discovery Plus, but there are several other ways uh, that you can watch it. 
So you know, kind of we'll, go ahead, Coop. No, so say we'll we'll make sure to certainly uh, oh, yeah, yeah share that to, so our audience yeah. can definitely uh, to watch it. So how Great. how do some of these ideas come about? Are you in a room with people and you're just spitting out, oh, Billy the Kid, John Henry, you know Johnny Appleseed, you know we're, we're, what's the discussion? What's the war room like when you guys are coming up with these topics? Well, we weren't in a room because of you know the conditions of last year, um, but we were. Uh, throwing things back and forth uh, through emails and texts and that sort of thing. A lot of it wasn't decided by me. Um, mm. But for example, in the Billy the Kid episode, we do a short vignette on Bass Masters, who maybe was the basis of the Lone Ranger. And uh, Reeves. Bass Reeves, Bass Reeves, yeah. Um, Bass Masters was somebody who killed people, I think. Um, <laughs> Is that the History Channel uh, sitting so beside you? What's that? Exactly. Is that the History Channel sitting beside you, making sure yes, that you like uh, promote everything? <laughs> um, so uh, we were doing Billy the Kid, and uh, I also wanted to do something on a female, so we did Annie Oakley, and then I thought it would be great to be even you know as inclusive as possible. So I actually got in contact with two of my friends who are black storytellers, uh, Bobby Norfolk out of St. Louis and Lynn Ford out of out of Ohio, and I said who you know who are some interesting uh uh black cowboys or black people from the from from the western period and uh one of them suggested uh, the the bass uh reeve story and that he might be the inspiration for the for the lone ranger and so you know that's how we got that in then i i went back to history and i was like we got to do this guy uh, yeah. so yeah i mean i had some input into that uh mm -hmm. but a lot of it was decided by other people and very well. I mean, I, I, there's nobody, none of the stories that we did weren't interesting to me. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We need to, what about a Mothman? We're going to try to do Mothman. Is that in the, the season? <laughs> I don't know if we're going to do like the, the cryptid uh, show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Part of the problem is, I mean, it's been done a little bit, but also right. it's hard to test, right? We have to have a test at least right, for the right, A story. Right. And sometimes the B story, there has to be something we can test, you know, did this really happen? Collapse so a bridge. You just difficult. have to collapse I mean, a bridge. I, I should go and sit on a bridge, and then see <laughs> yeah. if the bridge collapses. Um, but that's, see, I don't know if that's in the budget. Yeah, that might be more of like a the Bigfoot show or what <laughs> the chasing Bigfoot <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so continuing on with this, did you tape some of this during COVID, pre-COVID, or has it been kind of in this post-COVID, pre-Delta COVID variant time the world we're that we're in? Yeah. yeah. We shot the first episode, uh, the Billy the Kid episode. We went out to Colorado and Wyoming last July, July a year ago. Gotcha. Um, uh, the story, the Billy Kid story takes place in New Mexico, but we couldn't go to New Mexico. Um, and so then from August through December, we were very, very, very safely out on the road. Uh, we were taking tests, uh, I think every 10 days or every seven days we took a test. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, as much as we could stayed in our own bubble and except when I'm on camera, you know, I was wearing a mask. Everybody was wearing a mask. Crazy. So we were out there, uh, you know, during some of the worst of it. But we did absolutely everything we could to stay safe. And nobody on our crew um, uh, got it. So we must have been yeah. doing something. Right? Yeah. yeah. You had plenty of swabs up your nose, I guess, is what you're saying, oh. right? It was, yeah, it brain. was so miserable. So miserable. <laughs> well, One time I... I I had a little, you know, there's that little canister you got to put the swab in and break it off afterwards. 
Um, and so I stuck the thing up my nose and I jammed it too far. And I went like that with the thing. And it, I didn't know there was any fluid in it. Uh, so there was fluid all over the bathroom. After that. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Oh, well, look, Bill, I mean, look, it's been, uh, it's been so fun to have you on because I mean, it's, I don't know, it's so cool to get like a professional storyteller to talk about storytelling, but then also hear some of these cool insights with it. And we try to do a little amateur version of that every single week by listening and, and hearing from West Virginians um, all over. So we greatly appreciate you coming on and, and thank you honestly for at scale talking about Appalachia, talking about and repping it on your shirt. I'm sure wherever you go, um, people are talking to you about West Virginia. I just got back from Denver and if you're, if you're wearing a West Virginia shirt in the airport, people are going to come up and say something to you. People really do. Our culture does like to, I think, um, well, I mean, we're, we're prideful of our state. We're supportive of each other. But then if you're outside the state, it's even cooler to see somebody from West Virginia and talk to them about um, and start telling stories. Right. I mean, like what we've been talking about this whole episode. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that's fascinating. And uh, we greatly, greatly appreciate you coming on. Glad to do it. And when I first started uh, storytelling on the national scene, some very nice person told me that they didn't think my stories were going to work outside of West Virginia because they were too West Virginia centric. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, just interestingly, in a lot of my early stories, I, I have a railroad track. I mean, it's a real railroad track, but I mentioned that it runs from Cowan to Grafton via Burnville, Buckhannon, Kelton, Philippi. Um, I've told stories now in 47 States, I think. Wow. And, Almost every time I've told stories, not only is someone in the audience from West Virginia, but they're very often from one of those towns. <laughs> that I mentioned that. A lot of times it's mostly Grafton. I have to say there's been a huge, uh, 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 a lot of people must have left Grafton. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I have never, I don't think I've ever been in an audience or rarely, let's say, been in an audience where somebody wasn't from West Virginia. It's or true. at the very least, they served with somebody in the military from West Virginia. Right. I was going to so say true. Buchanan. I feel like everybody's lived in Buchanan at least once in their life, and then they've left. So Could be. Yeah. That's the other one. So Hard what to three? Believe, but yeah. What three states are left? Hawaii, um, Maine, and Rhode Island. How about that? Are those no, the three? Uh, Alaska, Hawaii. Maybe it's four. Um, oh no! Wait. It could be like five. Um, Alaska, <laughs> Hawaii. I have not told in Maine. Um, North Dakota and Nevada, I think, okay. are the five states okay. I have. Cool. All right, cool, 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 cool. Well, we'll when you check them off, we'll revisit and, and then you can tell us stories from those five states too. Or you can so. lie to us and tell us that you've been there. We'd never know. He might you, have already you're, lied you're to gonna, us. <laughs> the, the goal was to spot all of the lies in this episode. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. That's funny. Well, Bill, man, thank you very much. We appreciate you. Good luck. We're going to promote the heck out of Man vs. History. And you, man, you, you're an awesome guy, an awesome guest. And uh, thank you for repping West Virginia as well as you Thank did. you. Thank you, guys. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you to Bill again. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thought it was very thoughtful and fun and just high-paced. And Bill, you're just a uh, you're down-to-earth, chill dude, and we appreciate you coming on and speaking with us about your show and just your life and you know some of your future goals as well. So thank you again. Best of luck. We're rooting for you. Thank you to everyone who is listening to this as well. You know, we really do mean it. We love all of the interactions that you guys have with us by listening to the podcast or giving us a like or leaving a comment on any of our platforms. 
So thank you all for listening. We'll be back very soon right here on the Mountaineer Media Podcast.